Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. I'm going to be in Montreal this week. I'm, uh, I was invited by Wyden and Kennedy to come in and speak to their heads of strategy from all of their offices around the world, kind of a global summit of their, their heads of strategy. But they've invited me to come in and talk about the show, talk about the uh, learnings from the show and the implications of the show. So I'm really excited to do that. This is something we do a lot virtually, but uh, I'm excited to start getting back into doing it in person. So if you have uh, uh, your firm or your agency has an event upcoming, I would be uh, be happy to talk to you and thrilled to sort of design a presentation or a conversation, either around topics or around case studies or around categories. We can we can make that happen. So you can reach me at hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. So the uh, today's episode is a really powerful one. I, I'm uh, I was thrilled to record it last week. We're fast tracking this to get it out because it is such a uh, such a powerful uh, such a powerful piece of film and such a powerful um, powerful campaign overall. It is uh, it got on my radar because it got shortlisted for an APG award at the Account Planning Group out of London. Now, if you're not familiar with APG, they have sort of a double-barreled process uh, in in judging. First, uh, you submit your paper. It gets judged, and if you're lucky, it gets shortlisted. And then you have to come back in, and you have to sort of present and defend your paper. Uh, you you get a you have to make like an abbreviated five minute pitch, and then you have to answer questions from uh, judges. So I think that second part of the judging happened last week. So I'll be very surprised if this particular campaign does not come out with uh, with a top honor. It's called Have a Word. It comes out of the mayor's office in London, and it deals with the tragic issue of violence against women. There have been there had been a number of uh, high profile murders that took place, and I think that sort of instigated the need for a different kind of campaign. Uh, campaigns in the past. Have had focused on the woman, uh, the victim, and unfortunately had sort of uh, put the burden on her to create change. Uh, much the same approach was taken with campaigns that sort of focused not on the on the victim, but on the, per- the perpetrator. But Ogilvy has gone a step further in their approach, and it is driven and rooted very much in the behavioral sciences. It focuses on the bystander. It's that friend of a friend, that friend that is uh, seeing what is happening, seeing what their friend is doing. And we're talking in this case not about um, not about high levels of violence or murder, but that sort of low-level uh, misogyny, that low-level harassment that is equally traumatizing and disturbing to a woman, but is far too common uh, in society. Now, the bystander tends to stand there, and for whatever reason, he doesn't step in to stop it from happening. He doesn't realize the power that he has in diffusing the situation. So this campaign is actually shot through his eyes, and it is a massively powerful piece of film, and I think it can resonate with almost all men. And if it doesn't resonate with you, there's something wrong with you. Um, so it's it's a brilliant campaign. I, I know you'll enjoy the conversation. We're going to be joined by Tara Austin. She's a behavioral and brand strategist at Ogilvy in London. And Bianca Novas is a planning director uh, for Ogilvy. Um, they have uh, been working on this campaign for, I think, about a year and a half. The second phase of the campaign is just about to launch. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that uh, how that um, rolls out. So we'll be back with Have a Word after this message. 
Hello and welcome to the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Which is this campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness, a six-week online program in partnership with Walk that'll give you a next-level understanding of the evidence-based principles of advertising effectiveness. The very same principles we've used to create this. The most effective advertising campaign in the world. Over the coming years, you'll experience a campaign that's perfectly budgeted and targeted over both the short and long terms and replete with emotion, distinctive assets, and most importantly, creativity. It will at some point result in you visiting our website, mae.academy, signing up, becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, and also becoming a piece of hard evidence that this is in fact the most effective advertising campaign in the world. So I welcome uh, I welcome our two guests. Uh, welcome first uh, to Tara Austin. Welcome, great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. And Bianca, it is great to uh, talk to you again too. It is amazing to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us, Bianca. Let's first start though um, with some context for this campaign. Tell us about uh, Sabina Nessa and Sarah Everard. Uh, who were these two women and uh, what has happened? What happened to them in order to um, sort of trigger what led to this campaign? Sabina and uh, Sarah, they were just um, examples of a series of violent crimes against women that were happening in London in 2021. Um Sabina, um, I mean, uh, Sabina was a 28-year-old woman. Uh, that was murdered by a man while she was just walking through a park in South East London. And Sarah, she was 33, and she was murdered by a, a serving officer from the Met Police. So they they were quite they were two really shocking examples, but examples from a series of crimes that were happening uh, in London and. The two of them, we look at them and we, we see that they actually followed all the safety devices that women are given um, to keep themselves safe. We as women and living in London, we felt like there was nothing that a woman could do to be safe. Uh, and specifically talking about Sarah's um, um, murder, um, it kind of left us uh, losing a bit of confidence uh, in the Met Police. When you see examples like this, what do you feel that these sorts of murders, these these violent murders, signal to other women, especially given the fact that this was a police officer, the person you're supposed to be able to reach out to when you need help? I mean, it was it was shocking to everyone. Um, and it signaled, as Bianca said, that we, we weren't safe. Women in the capital were not safe, however much you might like to think you are. Um, our client, uh, the lead client on this was a fantastic woman, uh, Pooja Palmer. And, and Pooja, I know, would say that she identified very, very closely with Sabina um, and, and that tragedy. It, it could have been me. Uh, was very, very strongly felt by our client. And I think that was was something that really helped propel the work along. And the really interesting thing with this brief was that from the very beginning, we were really clear that we were not going to tell women that they had to change their lives in order to be safe. And that was not what the mayor's office wanted. It was not what the client wanted. 
there have been campaigns in the past. What um, what sort of a, an approach did they take in terms of message, and 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 why were they not working? Yeah, there'd been two kinds of approach, broadly speaking. One of which was tell women to stay safe by putting their keys between their fingers when they're walking and not taking an unlicensed minicab, and and a lot of work that had scared women uh, and uh, and socially normalised the idea that they are vulnerable which we are more vulnerable physically um and as as bianca said the statistics talk for themselves in terms of um, the vulnerability of women to attack and violence um and and there'd been that work asking the woman to change her behavior but equally we had in more recent years um started to see a little bit of work trickling through uh looking to men and looking to tell men um, that this was not okay, that that this was so this kind of um, violence against women and girls was socially unacceptable, um, which seems sort of obvious, uh, perhaps, um, but you know was was welcome was welcomed by a lot of women um, that kind of messaging, and you can see how it would be the the natural place to go in developing a strategy uh, where you're trying to reduce misogyny and, and acts of violence against women telling men we don't stand for this um is is a is a perfectly uh, legitimate strategy and in that case you're trying to sort of motivate men not to behave in that way but what we had seen was that that kind of messaging was actually very easy for men to ignore um, it was very easy for men um, to say, well, you know, I'm not I'm not that kind of person. They didn't see themselves in the communications. Part of this is because um, a great deal of this kind of behavior actually takes place in what psychologists would call a hot state of decision making. So that's physiological arousal, um, drunkenness, uh, drug taking, uh, sexual arousal. Um, any of the things that take us out of our cold and rational uh, state of decision making in the in the clear light of day, um, when we are already very angry, uh, we're in a hot state. We all behave in ways that are uh, that we might otherwise regret. And so, um, this kind of messaging that was uh, appealing directly to the perpetrator um, had been had been pursued in the past. But we we felt we we'd seen it wasn't necessarily being successful. That the problem wasn't going away, and therefore we needed a different approach. So let's uh, dig in because because we're kind of geeky planners here. Um, it's it is very it is very clear as you said these are all viable strategies that there's that there that one approach would be to basically say that women need to protect themselves against an attacker. So it was about what you should and shouldn't do and basically placing the responsibility for this on the woman yeah that was one that was certainly one approach and it was an approach that the the mayor didn't want us to take yeah yeah so i can imagine that's that's sort of the 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 old tried way right make the victim be the one who has to defend herself from a a perpetrator because she has no control over it um and so that had been done, and then um, the 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 general sense that this is something in society that is not that is not that is not accepted doesn't work either. So you see these old campaigns as a planning group. What do you then do, and particularly from the behavioral uh, perspective, what sort of planning activities do you undertake to go out there and 
understand either why those things aren't working or what the alternatives uh, would be, Tara? Well, thinking about those two different approaches, we structured that within um, what we're very familiar with using this something called the COMBI behavioral model, which was developed by Susan Mickey and a team at UCL. Uh, it's at the heart of the government's behavior change wheel. It's, it's widely available um, if you want to look at it online. It's a very, very simple model with six uh, key elements, uh, drivers of behavior. Um, which break into into three core concepts, capability, motivation, and opportunity. It's a little bit like um, uh, your, your TV detective talking about means, motive, and opportunity. So uh, capability within the model uh, is can somebody do it? Like, can they do the behavior? And if we're looking at... Um, uh, at violent acts of um, acts of violence against women and girls, can the perpetrator do it? Well, yes, they can, and we cannot police every man uh, all of the time. Uh, that was not so. Capability within the the mix was not really something that was open to us to to look at, unless we we changed her behaviour, for example, which was off the table. The second element of the model, motivation, can we motivate men not to behave in misogynistic uh, and ways? Um, that was where we could have gone down that path. We could have said, hey, men, uh, you, you don't want to be the bad guy here um, and you want to stay on the right side of things. So maybe you shouldn't behave in this way. Society says it's it's not OK um, and, and create some motivation for them to be the kind of man that they wanted to be potentially. Um, and we, as I say, we could have gone down that path, but what we saw was that it was it was relatively easy for men to ignore, um, and that basically, you're in 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 media terms, you're not. There's a huge amount of wastage, if nothing else. Most of your campaign uh, would be talking to men for whom this behaviour wouldn't necessarily be relevant anyway, and those that uh, were perpetrators might not recognize themselves in your communications because they might not actually really be aware of even what they're like when they're drunk, for example. So it was a very difficult thing to motivate um, a man in a cold state not to behave in these kind of misogynistic ways when actually this behavior often happens in uh, in different, more hot states of decision-making. The, the third element of the of the model is opportunity. And opportunity relates to the facilitating factors around a behavior um, and around an individual. So it's the environment and the social environment. And here was where we saw our biggest opportunity because instead of uh, effectively addressing the perpetrator and trying to change what they could do and trying to get them to change their attitudes, um, what uh, opportunity does was make us reflect on the bystander, not necessarily uh, the individual uh, who's likely to commit an act of violence, but those around them, their social context. And what we recognized here was that that was all men. Um, all men have at some point witnessed behavior uh, that was um, not appropriate around women, uh, whether that was with a woman present or whether that was just in private with their friends, with their uh, colleagues, with people that they didn't know on the on the street. E every single man um, has witnessed this kind of behavior. And in a great deal, this was um, the, the, there was an opportunity for uh, us to reframe the lowest levels of misogynistic behavior um, for these bystanders. So these bystanders had been 
and were passive participants, um, sometimes in what was described as banter, uh, male conversation about women, women might be present or not, but uh, relating to women. And, and this could, e even when someone had gone too far and said something that was inappropriate uh, or misogynistic, um, it could easily be dismissed in a group as, um, yeah, yeah, as harmless. Um, and yet one of the things that really brought this the, into... The stuff we always hear about, the locker room banter, right? That's, that's it. Locker that's room sort of banter. horrible, pathetic labels, yeah. president yeah. of America used it, I think, to, to justify his own uh, conversations. Um, but what we what we saw, saw was this kind of banter wasn't, in fact, harmless, that really all violence against women uh, begins with low-level um, uh, misogyny and this kind of conversation um, and, and this being normal. Uh, for the individual and that's the thing tara that i wanted i wanted to follow up on that because I, as you've explained that to me it uh, i and and you talk about it as low level misogyny is that because the majority of this sort of behavior tends to happen or start out at its earliest stages in a social environment where we're surrounded by friends where we're in the context where and that becomes the context where we uh, that the lowest levels begin, but then it can escalate to something larger. And is that where you focused on? Was that changing the dynamics at that earliest stage? Yes, certainly. And in and in the peer to peer environment. So whereas uh, previous communications that tried to motivate perpetrators and say this is not okay, society says this is not okay, the government says this is not okay. Instead, what we were trying to do was shift, our, our whole target was different. It wasn't the perpetrator, it was the bystander that we wanted. We wanted to change their behaviour. We wanted to change the behaviour of someone who knows when a line has been crossed, but isn't currently standing up and saying anything. But if they do, then the chain of reaction goes down to that potential perpetrator and shows them that this is not OK. So instead of just telling them it's not OK, we wanted to really change that whole environment, that social norm through using these other individuals effectively as our as our medium. Um, and, but this meant that we had a, a whole different uh, problem and set of challenges in terms of getting the bystander to speak up. Um, getting them to inter intervene and getting them to intervene in personal relationships in peer-to-peer -peer environments. So, so Bianca, is it is it generally accepted that the behavior, the behavior, and, and, and maybe this is why you guys used the term a minute ago, uh, Tara did uh, low level, lowest level misogyny. Is it sort of accepted in psychology realm that that this low level? Uh, misogyny eventually becomes violent acts that are that happen in a more private setting, and therefore, if you can, if you can address it as being uh, socially unacceptable early on, then you can you can sort of avoid not only the lower level misogyny, which is terrifying in and of itself, but also what might happen further down the road as it converts into more violent behavior. Yeah, I mean this this is actually uh this actually came from crime statistics from the mayor's office uh intelligence. So that I mean we had uh this uh, I mean horrible but quite insightful graph that really showed how um misogyny is an escalating problem and you could see that all I mean it's really 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 difficult and unlikely that a a murder episode will uh will happen without previous um misogynistic act 
happening. So we, I mean, there are a lot of uh, information that kind of that tells that the murder of Sabina Nessa and uh, Sabina Nessa has previously um, done quite a, a lot of other misogynistic acts act, uh, before he murdered Sabina. Let's talk about um, a, a term that you use uh, in in your um, in your strategy, which is a bystander culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tell us about on a broader societal uh, realm. Uh, what is the role and the risk of bystander culture? Yeah, we're social creatures, and we've got here as a species by cooperating and working with with our tribes not being lone wolves but having uh, safety in in numbers and that's what we do with our own little social groups and and our social settings we we stick together we band together and we form cultures some good some bad um but that's what kind of we perceive as keeping us um safe and it means that it's very difficult for us to ch- challenge um, the prevail- prevailing culture of a group. As anyone who has worked in a uh, toxic um, work environment will will know very well, it's very difficult uh, to to come into a culture of any kind and change it. That's that's really really tough. So uh, the bystander is 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 someone who's not trying to change the culture typically it's anyone who is present but passive uh in terms of um how they might uh yeah live up to that culture and and i say passive but the reality is that you know we we're social creatures and we read signals that are very very subtle so when somebody uh in your social group says something that is uh, going too far about a woman uh, and you snigger or laugh, uh, it might be because actually you're very uncomfortable with what they're saying, but equally, and you want to move the conversation onwards, um, but equally that laughter can be read by the rest of the group as as validation of the comment. Um, And so whilst we talk about bystander culture um you know and by the bystander effect which is typically thought of as the difficulty of speaking up and acting and challenging the status quo and challenging uh, a particular culture or, or scenario um yeah like the, the, the actually the bystander is not necessarily as passive um as they as they could be they are actually by doing nothing or by laughing or by um, you know, by by not saying anything, they are validating that comment. Uh, they are reinforcing that culture. Um, and so our target uh, was this inertia and was this um, bystander culture. Uh, and instead of the perpetrator themselves, um, we wanted to completely shift the emphasis um, and the target for our campaign. When we have identified that insight, uh, when we identified that insight, that really gave, gave us a clear uh, sense of direction. And it was by really understanding how how men behave in those situations. Because when you see, when you usually see men in that uncomfortable situation where their friends are being misogynistic, I mean, talking to a lot of men, we we saw that men want to do, a lot of men want to do something. They are being bystanders 
but they they want to do something. They want to say something. And I mean, you will see that this is kind of what we portrayed in our film. But there is a big barrier for them not knowing what to do and how to speak up and waiting for someone to do something. Yes. But not them. They don't feel that they have the responsibility, but they just stay in that uncomfortable situation and waiting for someone. Maybe there is a lack of confidence in the moment or just doesn't they don't want to kill the vibe because actually you're talking about we're talking about friends, right? You're in the situation where your friend is acting really badly towards the women. So it's a, it's very, very difficult. But what we wanted to do was basically to break that inertia and say, you need to reflect about your own bystander behavior and act against it because it's your role to do that, not no one else's. Uh, and if you just do and 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 kind of and break that inertia, then you would be kind of like helping already. So kind of like the whole process was basically trying to get men to really shift from that bystander kind of culture and, and behavior to actively being allies of women. You know, and it's it's one of these uh, great examples of when when you see the film and you see the social dynamic that's happening and you begin to realize even though that bystander hasn't been typically willing to speak up and we'll and we'll talk more about that in a second what what happens when that bystander actually decides to speak up is what's amazing to watch because it's true which is it diffuses everything it redirects the activity and the behavior towards the bystander and um and gives that bystander enormous power they never knew they had. And yeah, I, I it's power that should be like it, it's power that is tied up in these very tight social dynamics, and it's it's power that is not only very difficult to wield, but that and uh, our next campaign that we're developing and that's launching at the at the moment is really focused on this: is like how do we help men? Uh, how do we help these bystanders that, as Bianca said, want? to speak up or know when a line has been crossed, but don't necessarily know how to do that respectfully, for respecting the social dynamic, because whilst um, breaking uh, uh, what somebody has, you know, has said and calling it out is powerful, it's also got the potential to cause rifts within that social environment that people don't simply do not want. They would rather gloss over something and move on and, yes. and change the conversation and not necessarily call it out in a direct way. And what we've been asking for is, is meant to actually stand up and more directly uh, put on the table, social disapproval. And that is, that is harder. Um, and it's, and it's potentially more damaging, more socially damaging for the individual. So we've had to be really sensitive about how we help men do that. No, that's a that's a great point that you brought up. That that subtlety is very important. That it, it maybe it redirects the anger, but it may be redirecting in a way that doesn't motivate people to speak up. I think is what you're saying is how do you do it in a way where you're able to deflect it away from somebody with it being able to deflect deflect and diffuse rather than flare up if you're the that's bystander. Exactly it. That's exactly, and that's a, again why we we weren't talking to get men to intervene in this in the street. Uh, this is as I said, it's um it's about these personal, quite intimate, you know, people that you've known 
your whole life you've gone to school with um maybe and so how do we kind of respect that relationship we needed to this was all about peeling away the male psyche in the right way so that yes we were talking to the not the perpetrator but to the bystander when we were talking to the bystander we weren't telling them hey you have to do this um in fact what the campaign really does is invite them to ask themselves what kind of man are you are you the kind of person that stands by when a line has been crossed because the the call to action in, in the campaign is have a word with yourself and then with your mates and what this implies in fact is that you already know where the line is or well, i'm not telling you where the line is i'm not telling you what is and isn't okay you already know it's it's all implied in your own sense your own moral compass and I think you know one of the things that that's, that strikes me about this whole thing is that this sort of bystander cult, the topic of bystander culture and bystander effect is really relevant to most everything that's happening in culture in the last ten years here in the U.S. in the U.K. from a political perspective, the changes that so many of us have allowed to happen, even though we in our own set of values believe that they were wrong. But we always thought somebody else would stop them from happening. But we didn't feel that we ourselves could make a difference. I'm 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 reminded of the visual. It's no it's no uh, it's no surprise that I'm not a Trump supporter. But I'm I'm and so this will this will come as no surprise. I remember I always remember images of all of the candidates on stage with Trump when he was uh, campaigning back in 2015 2016 all of the other candidates within his own tribe within his own republican party all looking at his behavior now you knew that most of them hated almost everything he's, he was saying but they were not willing to stand up and state yeah. that it was wrong that it was against their beliefs because they thought somebody else would do it or they thought that he would impl he would implode same maybe with boris johnson depending on which mm -hmm. side of the issue you're on. We, we've allowed this sort of behavior because we think others will take care of it. We don't feel that it's socially acceptable or we, we feel it's too risky for us to take it on. And so a campaign like, like what you've produced, in my mind, makes it socially acceptable to express your principles. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a phenomenal contribution to culture, in my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, that is the intention, really. That was absolutely yeah. the intention. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, about the, the film, because the objective, as you guys have written it, uh, is make all men agents of change through a scenario every man could relate to. How, how did you brief creative? And tell us about the process of getting to this piece of film, because... The psychology and the nuance and the craft were really critical in how the story was told. The briefing process, for example, was completely collaborative. The client was in the room when we briefed uh, our creators. Uh, we had a we had our strategic uh, kind of um, um, point of view. Our creative strategy, for example. Uh, was a um, don't be a bystander, stand by her. So that was the first kind of uh, um, 
nod to a creative idea that we had. And we worked on that for quite a long time. And we were actually, we really loved that statement and we we really loved that as an idea. But the more we dig into it and the more we talked to the client and the more we thought about it, we actually um we actually kind of found out that uh this couldn't be an an, an the, the idea of the campaign because it, it really didn't bring to life what we wanted uh men to do and actually when you ask men to stand by a woman it couldn't come across completely different than what we were asking men to do um so from that process and working with the creators and working with the client but uh, what were where... you i don't i'm sorry to interrupt you excuse me but i think it's important to just go back a few seconds if 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 uh if it wasn't if the desired behavior was not to have a man stand by her you you, you said so what was the desired behavior we wanted men to kind of to reflect about their bystander behavior and talk to their friends we didn't want men to stand beside a woman and be kind of like almost like i am your protector that's not that's not that was not the intention the intention was that men were able to be women's allies but even be be their allies when they are not in the room before we ask you to describe the spot um i've got to say that when i watched the, the film it was Im- immensely um um uh, powerful to me personally because i've been in situations where coming up as a teenager and shit it still happens today uh, in adults is that you uh, get confronted by a group of people who take this exact same approach. I remember when I was a teenager, those times at the chippy when I'd, I'd be outside and a group of, of uh, kids would approach me and they would do this exact same behavior. And it wasn't, it, it was a different context, but it was the exact same experience. It was the exact same feeling, that lack of control, that feeling of imminent threat. So I think men react not only to what they can do in that situation, but they fully understand that situation as it relates to uh, being a social reality for them. It's that it's a threatening reality for them. So, I mean, it was a perfect it was a perfect scenario to frame. Did, was was that sort of scene that did that come up early? And can you describe what that scene was before we play play the film? The the film starts with a few friends in a night out, and they stop by a off license uh, to buy some snacks. Um, and then when they step out of the shop, one of the lads sees a girl, and she's waiting for a taxi alone while she's with a friend she says goodbye to her friend uh, and then she's alone i'm not eating anything all yeah, yeah, day bro you know what i can do it oh, too pop ali he's taking all his text me when you get home okay Taxi's 
taxi. Oi, Jacob, you're not gonna say anything. Just leave me alone, man. Bro, look at her. Whoa, 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 where are you going in such a hurry? All I've done is be nice. Nice, that's it. I'm trying to be nice, all right? And all I'm getting is this. What are you doing? You need to say something. This isn't a joke anymore. Huh? What is it? What is your problem? You've not said one word, no? Come on, bro. You're not so pretty with that face on, you know? I just don't understand. What are you what? doing? That's enough. Male violence against women and girls can start with words. Only joking, bro. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go. If you see it happening, have a word with yourself, then your mates. It's probably the most powerful piece of film I've seen in a long time. As I mentioned at the at the out at the outset, um, was this a was this a, a a female creative team or a male creative team? A mix? How about the director? I mean, that's a lot <laughs> a lot of craft in that. Yeah. It was uh, it was a mix. Uh, so we had female and male um, uh, people in in our team. Uh, we had we did have a lot of of women in the team, but I mean I think that the male uh, the male members of the team they really really helped as well, bringing the the, the kind of the male perspective to it. But our director uh, was this amazing woman. Uh, and yeah, so I think her point of view was extremely important, right, Tara, to kind of like telling that narrative and really thinking about each element of uh, of the film. You mentioned that um, that the latest iteration or phase two, maybe we'll call it, of the campaign is is launching around this time, and we're we're recording this in July, uh, mid July. What um, you mentioned that phase one which we've been talking about is really about reflection uh, of the bystander culture, the bystander in that situation. Tell us uh, as we wrap up here, what is phase two? Is it about giving them the ammunition about how to respond or, or what, how would you describe what campaign V2 is about? So we did a lot of research uh, after phase one, uh, the behavioral science uh, team did a lot of research. And one thing that we found, in those new insights was that even though men they they now knew that they they had they had to do something they had to intervene and they wanted to intervene uh we we actually saw 85% of men that seen our campaign they said that they would now call out misogyny when they saw it uh the the problem is and we touched on this a bit uh, already that men uh they didn't know how because it's really hard for men to know what to say and what to do in these situations. So actually there was a barrier for intervention that was all around capability. So this phase, um, phase two, will be much more focused, actually will be focused on enablement. So we want to provide men uh, and bystanders with tools and a really simple but really powerful intervention that can help them to move from that bystander um, um, situation to actively calling out misogyny when they see it. We're still focusing on the low-level misogyny and we're still tapping into the power of friends talking to friends, 
uh, how important it is that that intervention comes from this place of respect. And it is done in a way that is really respectful and has levity to it. So uh, you're not telling off your friends, you're not killing the vibe, you are uh, respectfully calling out a situation that you feel is not acceptable. It is uh, Tara Austin. She is behavioral and brand strategist at Ogilvy in London and Bianca Novis, uh, planning director at Ogilvy in London. Uh, the work is just phenomenal. And um, I've been thrilled to get the chance to talk to you guys about it. If, if you want to see the spots um, and a little bit of the backstory, you can see it on our website and everybody knows where to go for that. Thank you both uh, for your time and for this conversation and for making a big impact, I hope in culture let's hope so thank you so much we're really happy yeah to be here thank you for having us and we'll see everyone on the next episode